Please be seated. And welcome to Emmanuel Anglican Church on Christ the King Sunday. I want to give a special welcome to all the parents and godparents and spiritual mothers and fathers that are in attendance. I want to thank you for honoring us with your presence and um, thank you for honoring us with your children. I know there are many mothers and fathers and spiritual mothers and fathers that couldn't be here for one reason or another. It may be that they've gone on to be with the Lord. It may be that they're in other parts of the world. Um, and we're, we're honored to be together, their spiritual children. My own mother and father are here, Lou and Patty, and they've been instructed to call me Father Aaron while they're here. <laughs> so we're going to talk today about receiving a legacy. I invite you to turn to Psalm 90. It's in your programs. It's also in your Bibles. And just turn to Psalm 90. So back in September, <clears throat> Chicago hosted a pop-up experience uh, known as Happy Place. Did anyone here go to Happy Place? Um, Happy Place is a, was a 20,000-square-foot warehouse uh, that was transformed into this novel experience tailor-made for Instagram users. Um, Hal Koss, who's uh, one of our leaders at Emmanuel, documented his visit in an article for the Weekly Standard. Hal writes this, Happy Place is a winding set of hallways and rooms that feature brightly colored installations full of novelty props, next to which people can pose for pictures they share on social media. One of the most popular uh, installations in this, in this uh, happy place was the Rainbow Room. And the Rainbow Room was this cavernous space, and it was, there was this giant inflatable rainbow underneath which of which was a smiley face, which was overlooking a giant pot of gold, um, which Hal calls an enormous inflatable tub containing hundreds of softball-sized, lemon-colored plastic balls. And Hal observed two teenagers diving into the pot of gold, Scrooge McDuck style, while their proud parents took their pictures. There's another room that features a canary yellow uh, bathtub. And that canary yellow bathtub is in a canary yellow room with canary yellow floors and, and ceilings. And it's covered wall, uh, so floor to ceiling, with thousands of yellow rubber duckies. You can plop yourself inside the bathtub and grab a selfie with all of the duckies, and everyone on Instagram will, will love it. Um, every room at Happy Place gives you a prime selfie opportunity. The garish backgrounds sure to impress all of your followers, and you're encouraged to use the hashtag WeAreHappyPlace um, for all of your photos. At the end of his article, Hal concludes that Happy place feels hollow. Uh, it's a place where we take turns performing happiness for the momentary blink of the aperture. Now, I've never been to happy place, but as I read about it, happy place strikes me as a compelling and fitting metaphor um, for our culture's approach to sex, romance, and life in the body. All of it is kind of a pop-up experience. 
novel and fun, a great way to get attention and affirmation, a great way to feel good, yet ultimately it's, it's meaningless and temporary. Uh, so sex and romance and life in the body are a series of thrilling moments. It's like thrilling moments after thrilling moment, but when you string them together, they don't make a coherent story, and they don't last. The thrilling moments leave us feeling hollow and empty on the inside, like our whole life is just a passing dream. It's just ephemeral, doesn't have meaning. And could it be that by the kindness of God, my friends, we could step out of happy place into the presence of Christ, the one in whom all things hold together, the Lord of all generations? Could we bring him our romance? Could we bring him our sexuality? Could we bring him our our bodies? Could we bring him the genders within those bodies and ask Jesus to make something of them in the end? To ask him to make good of it all. Could he make us his sons and daughters who make him proud? Could we grow up to be the man we were always meant to be, the, the woman we were always meant to be, And could we become the kind of man, the kind of woman who who could raise up the next generation and bless them and pour our lives out for them? Just to pour out whatever Christ pours into us, we pour out to others looking to us. Despite all of our shortcomings, are we still eligible for the inheritance of spiritual children and grandchildren in our families and within the family of God, within the kingdom of God? Can our choices, can our moments that pass so quickly matter for them, matter beyond our life? And could our imperfect lives bear good fruit long after we have departed this world? Could that all be true? Because if you string together all the moments of our life and hold them up, it becomes clear that we haven't always done that well. We haven't always loved well. We haven't always done what we ought to have done. And sometimes we've we've done what we ought not to have done. We just, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived and it doesn't add up. So if you long for your life to matter, but you're not sure that it will, if you long to receive a legacy, but you don't feel like you quite deserve it, I invite you to take heart from Psalm 90, from this prayer. Now, in the bulletins, it doesn't list the, um, the title, the author, which uh, the psalm tells us is, is a prayer of Moses. Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, a man of God. Now, Moses was a man who had seen enough of human history to be very realistic about it. Um, Yet he was also a man who had seen enough of, he knew God, and he had seen enough of God to be hopeful. And if you you string all of the moments of Moses' life together, um, you'd see both. You'd see both God's grace and you'd see Moses' sin, like in the same string of events. Over here is Moses parting the Red Sea by faith, by the power of God. Yet over there is, is Moses murdering an Egyptian. Now, over here 
is Moses coming down off the mountain, giving the Ten Commandments faithfully, giving all the glory to God. Yet over here is Moses striking the rock out of anger, taking all of the glory for himself. In Psalm 90, I can hear something of Moses entrusting just all of it to God, the good and the bad, asking for God to make something of it by grace. And you can hear the ache in his heart in these words. I, this may not be true, but I imagine Moses penning Psalm 90 on the top of Mount Nebo, which is the mountain that he had to, to go up on to watch the nation of Israel pass into the promised land without him. All of his spiritual children, not to mention his biological children, Eleazar and Gershom. You know, his whole legacy, he poured his life into these people. And because of his own sin, he lost his temper and he couldn't follow them into the promised land. He had to, he had to let them go. God said, you can't go with them into the promised land. Now Joshua the next generation is going to be the spiritual leader. You know, when I hear in Psalm 90, Moses entrusting all of them to God as well. Whether he wrote it on the top of Mount Nebo, I'm sure something like Psalm 90 was a prayer on his heart as he watched wave after wave of spiritual children going on without him. So maybe we could sit with, with Moses on that mountain peak Mount Nebo, and just take in the, the vista of, of, of where he was at, like seeing all of the mountains before him and seeing all the people before him. I wonder if, if that could be the setting in which we read the beginning of this psalm. Hear him, hear him speak in, in verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You know, maybe you've seen one of those time-lapse videos. Have you ever seen one of those time-lapse videos where it looks like it's in fast-forward, except it doesn't have the fast-forward lines? It just, it's like time is appearing before you, and it's just passing quickly. Maybe the Chicago skyline with the, the sun going up, the sun going down, the lights coming on at night, the lights coming off, um, the people coming and going. Or maybe like a little flower, a green shoot rising out of the dirt, the face of the flower opening up towards the sun and then just shriveling up. It's almost as if Moses, maybe on the top of Mount Nebo, just seeing like a time lapse of creation, of the mountains being brought forth from the heart of the earth and, and mankind coming up and then having to go back down into the dust. Warp speed, thousands of years passing by whole armies of people rising up and going down. And in our, uh, in our moment, while we're alive, our life does feel so consequential 
and lasting. Like this is finally the moment when history is actually emerging. When, when we all understand things perfectly and completely in a way that all of our ancestors in all their short-sightedness never saw what we saw. Our victories feel so lasting. Our problems feel so hard. Yet before God, the author of time, forever to us is like a minute to him. And at the end of Moses' life, he's over 100 years old at this point, and he's just getting this. He's just seeing this. He's internalizing it. Verse 5 takes us deeper into the image here. You sweep them away. You sweep people away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and, and is renewed. In the evening, it fades. In the evening, it withers. You ever wonder what it would have been like for Moses to live through the Exodus? Just to go through that visceral experience of, of leading God's people out of the most powerful nation in the world at that time? To see God do mighty acts to humble the most proud and the most powerful. And then when it seemed like they were going to get away, to have the most advanced army, grown men trained for battle, armed to the teeth, riding in chariots after you to mow you down, to have a kill order against you and all the people you're trying to set free. Just everything about them is powerful and strong. And then to see God lead all of his children through the Red Sea, and then drown all of those grown men who a moment before it seemed like they were going to kill you. A moment before it seemed like maybe they were God. But they just got swept away like a flood. Like what that must have been like for Moses to internalize that and go, yeah, that's the story of people, isn't it? It's the story of men and women. This is God saying, it's time for you, O Egyptian army, to return to the dust. I'm gonna sweep you away as with a flood. You thought you were mighty. You thought maybe you would live forever. But they're not invincible. They were invincible, and then they were gone. Tom uh, Skoga recently wrote an essay called Your Real Biological Clock is That You're Going to Die. <laughs> he wrote this as a 47-year-old man, probably going through a midlife crisis, um, realizing that his time is a limited resource. And here's what Tom writes. Everyone who was 47 years old when my father was born is now dead. All of them. That entire group of middle-aged people who made up the adult world when my father was a child is gone. The clock is running, only it's not a clock it's a sand glass. This world devours every person and moves on. It does not stop moving even as we pass through the middle of life telling ourselves it is the front end. Tom's lament is like Moses' lament. Our life is a breath before God. And why is this? 
Verse 7 and 8 give us some insight. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Now here is God, measured and just, making sense of our life. He's placing us within his story and then he's evaluating the consequences of our choices of life in the body. This is not God lashing out in anger. Um, This is God rather putting together all the moments of our life in the body. The moments seen and unseen, the things done and left undone. And now we would prefer to hide the bad parts and highlight the good parts, and that's what we do on Instagram, Uh, but that's not how it works in the presence of God. See, out of his deep goodness, he seeks justice, and he's not going to shelter us from the moral consequences of our choices. He told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat, you will surely die. And then they ate, and then they eventually died. We ate, and we will die too. In his second inaugural address, Abraham Lincoln mused about the moral consequences of slavery. Slavery which had been justified and in some cases hidden for many years, 250 years. And it had made a lot of people a lot of money. And they even used the Bible to justify it. And in his second inaugural address, Abraham Lincoln seemed to wonder if God allowed the Civil War as a form of divine justice. He says this, the Almighty has his own purposes. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as it was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." Death comes from sin. We feel it now, and we see it now. Verse nine, for all of our days pass under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? in your wrath according to the fear of you. You know, Moses had seen so much of this death along the way to the promised land. In between Egypt and the promised land, there had just been waves of people. Out of their own stubbornness or stupidity, crossing God and experiencing the consequences. How many of his own kin did Moses have to bury in the cursed ground? on the way to the promised land. 
And, and now they, they finally arrive to the promised land and Moses himself can't go in because of his own sin, his own angry outburst. We know our own sin, we, we know our own short life, and we long for more. Eternity has been set in our hearts and we ache for verse one to still be true. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So how could that be true? How could God be our righteous judge and our eternal home at the same time? And Moses finds these reconciled in the mercy of God. Long ago, Moses wrote down these words about God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in loyal love, loyal covenantal love. And so Moses is gonna end his prayer in Psalm 90 with a plea for this mercy, a plea for this grace. He's gonna cry out from the depths of his heart. He's gonna cry from his guts for God's mercy. Verse 12, teach us. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So how should we invest our life on this earth knowing how short it is? What should we do with our sexuality? whether inside of marriage or outside of marriage? What should we do with our life in the body? What should we do with our biological and spiritual family, with every opportunity that we have to bless the next generation? Moses wants the Lord to give him and us wisdom for how to use these few days because they all matter. They're passing quickly, but they matter to God. And this wisdom will teach us to live for more than just happy place, and passing moments. Yet wisdom isn't enough. We need the presence of God. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. If the Lord is near, if we have his presence, we have everything we need. So Moses can only ask for the presence of God, and he pleads for it in verses 14 and 15. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for many years as we have seen evil. While we still have breath, we plead with God. Would there be grace for every lost moment? Would there be grace for every lost year? Would there be grace over every lost opportunity to bless the next generation? Would there be grace for every bad decision? Would there be grace over every broken relationship? Would there be grace for all the things we've done and left undone? Would there be grace for people who don't deserve it? Would there be grace enough so that everything sad comes untrue for us and for our children? I see Moses praying this blessing, praying for the blessing of God Almighty and praying this blessing over the Israelites as they passed into the promised land without him. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. In our imaginations, this can be Mount Nebo. And I could be Moses. <laughs> and maybe he's praying, verse 16, looking down on them, 
Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. You know, Moses could be forgotten. All of his, you know, heroics, all of his sermons, all of his leadership, all of his sacrifices. Forget Moses. It was God empowering him anyway. So let God's work be known. As they go into the promised land, somehow let them see God. Somehow let them know the ways of God. Somehow let them know the mercy of God. And let them have a legacy. Let them have a legacy in God. And then he prays, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And that's all Moses could pray. That's all he could do. He just put everything in God's hands, all his mistakes and all of his hopes. He could just place into the presence of the living God. And then eventually Moses had to climb down Mount Nebo, having watched everyone pass into the promised land, his biological and spiritual children. And then he died, not knowing if his prayers were answered having said everything in the hands of God. But then by grace, 1,500 years later, Moses did enter the promised land. And the Lord set him on the mount, the mountain where Jesus was transfigured with the glory of God. And Moses was inside the promised land with Elijah and Peter, James and John, looking into the transfigured face of Jesus seeing that all of his prayers had been answered. Jesus, the wisdom of God. Jesus, the merciful presence of God. And he talked with Jesus about what Jesus was going to do, the fact that Jesus was going to go to the cross and be raised in three days. And here Moses is given this gift of sight, realizing that there's a new Joshua leading the new people of God into the new promised land through his death and resurrection. How thrilling that must have been for Moses to realize that his prayers were in good hands and the people of Israel were in good hands, that the children, that his children were ultimately children of the Father and that the Father would give him the legacy that he had always prayed for. Until the time comes when we are raised to the mountain, until we see the face of Christ, we can pray Psalm 90 from our guts too. We can have freedom to, to put everything in his hands, confessing our sins and loss and pain and loneliness and feelings of futility and meaninglessness. We can pray it in freedom to lament all that we long to see in our life that we haven't yet seen. All the prophetic words that have been spoken but not fulfilled. We can have freedom to, to plea for the grace of God for us and for our children and for our parents and our grandparents. We can have freedom to pray for the next generation, all the biological and spiritual children we've invested in them and then send them off Send them off and bless them and love them and abandon all of our outcomes to God. And knowing this, we can be free 
from living for ourselves. We can get just released from happy place and living for affirmation and living for pleasure. Knowing this, we can pour ourselves out for the next generation and entrust our legacy to God. And as you do, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.